Ladies and gentlemen, what's up? And welcome back to the Motivated Lawn Care Show. I'm your host, Caleb Nguyen. And, uh, oh man, I'm going to put your last name. <laughs> Luke, is it Truken? Dude, you nailed it. Okay, you nailed it. First, first person all day. All right, all right, perfect, <laughs> perfect. So um, a little bit more about uh, Luke. Um, he is also another young, he was he was a young gun, just like me. And um, he built up a sizable uh, lawn care business uh, through his teens and into his early 20s. And uh, I think by the age of 21, um, something about you having uh, mowing 500 some uh, houses a week with like almost 20 employees and and selling that and moving on, which is really cool. And, and you know, maybe that's something I do with my company in the future. And uh, I think uh, he's going to have some some fantastic insight um, for the other young guys looking to really delve into it. He's also got his own podcast. Um, it's The Green Dream. Is that correct? Green that Dream. That is correct. Yep. All right. And I was honestly, I'm honestly blown away. The quality is, you know, not to not to hate on anyone else, but you just kind of hear the same things over and over again. And you just have been able to have like some really fresh conversations, especially when it comes to like marketing that I think is super important. Um, so yeah, welcome to the show and and uh, thank you for being on. Man, I appreciate that. I, I I do. That was that was great. That was great opening. So yeah, I mean yeah. it's uh it's it's been it's been a it's been a wild ride. It's been a lot of fun. You know, I've learned a lot. I've made a lot of mistakes, and I think my biggest thing now is is how do I help other people to not make the mistakes that I did? Because I mean, there's ultimately at the end of the day, like if I could go back and redo it, I would build something that's completely um, way better than what I did build. Um, but you know, there's not a lot of guys that are actually able to build something and sell something because they don't take profitability seriously. They don't take their numbers seriously. They don't take density route density seriously. They don't do a lot of that stuff so that when they do go and sell, try to sell something, an investor is only looking at something from a, um, standpoint, uh, like if you build everything around you, and you don't have a real brand, you don't have a whole lot going for you. They're going to look at it and say, well, how much can I buy these lawns for this route for? And that's really what it comes down to. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of steps in between there. And that's, this is kind of one of the biggest things that I'm, I'm kind of focusing on. Um, the marketing piece is a big piece. Um, but you know, helping people build something that is ultimately going to give them the ability to make an exit, um, at some point you know, further on down the road. So. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to, do you want to take us back to, uh, to your younger days? I know you were a homeschool. We were talking about it on your show. You were homeschooled just, just like me and a uh, really cool story with that. Do you want to, you want to fill us in on really what that looked like? I know I heard something about you wanting to buy a car. And so you started mowing lawns. So, so what was yeah. up with that? And uh, how do you really take it from just, you know, looking for some extra money to something that you, you know, you sold. And uh, I'm assuming I had a pretty decent valuation with that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I did. All right. Um, there's, there's again, like you, you live and learn and there's definitely things that I could have done and should have done, um, to have maximized the value of the company. Uh, we talked about it on my show a little bit, but I should have leveraged debt. I, I spent so much stuff in cash that it messed our cash flow up. And there was, you know, when you, when you're growing and scaling and we were growing and scaling so quickly, growth sucks cash flow. And mm. there's just different things that I should have done and could have could have done differently that could have leveraged our hard cash and would have made us, you know, at a better evaluation than what we even got then. 
But, you know, at the end of the day, people ask me, they're like, how much did you sell for? And I'm, I'm, I tell them like, my answer is enough that I would walk away from the baby that I built. Like it was Luke's landscape and maintenance. Like everybody knew me in my town. Um, and, and there was almost like a, there was almost like a partial celebrity status that came around with it. And so like there, I, I made enough that I was willing to walk away from the whole thing and say, here you go. Here's somebody else taking my brand that Luke's landscape and maintenance still exists. Um, yeah. and my, my picture is still on the website. Like people, like the company's still running as me to some extent. And so, yeah. you know, it was enough, but, but yeah, I mean, it started, um, I, well, I'll, I'll take you way, way back. I've always been interested in heavy equipment, uh, dirt stuff, like playing in the sandbox, uh, all of my, all of my younger days. Um, I would, when I was little, I would try to get my mom and she did to stop at construction sites. And I'd, and I'd want to sit there and watch equipment and all of that kind of stuff. And so um, my parents had a lawn care company at one point and I had like these little like pretend push lawnmowers and stuff like that. And I would mow the carpet when, uh, when the lawn guys were mowing. Cause I just thought that was cool. And yeah. so um I don't think I ever really had a standpoint like growing up that where I was like, dude, lawn care is my thing. Like I want to be a, I want to be a lawn care guy. It was more like, yeah, I, I want to be a heavy equipment that. operator. I want to, you know, yeah, yeah. It's not really that thing that, you know, it's like, I don't know. I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't going dressed up as a lawn care guy to, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up day or whatever. But, um, so yeah, when, when, when I got around to, driving age uh at the time i i'd been when i got up to like 13 or 14 my parents had me mowing our lawn and and i was kind of obsessed with like making it look good getting the stripes done playing with different patterns all this kind of stuff to like just you know I, it was just interesting to me um and one day my neighbor down the street well okay i'll i'll, I'll do this part first i um was 15 looking at first vehicles situations and my, you know, I'm like, all right, so here's what I want. And I I'd been on YouTube. I had found the truck of my dreams, which at the time was a 1996 F350. Like, I don't remember what body style it was, but that like square body style of the Ford was what I wanted. It had to be a diesel. I really wanted a dually. And you know, at the time this is like, 2011, 2012, maybe those things are going for 15, 16, 17, $20,000. Maybe if you get something that's really clean and my parents are like, ha there's no way. Uh, first of all, your insurance is going to be stupid. And two, we're not buying you your first vehicle. You can drive the minivan. It was a town and Chrysler minivan or, uh, uh, Pacifica. I think it was made by Chevy too is what my dad drove. And I was like, well, I'm sure as heck not driving up in the minivan. I mean, first of all, I'm homeschooled, but come on, mom. Like, like I'm going to drive up to church, like with all my, my cool public school friends in the minivan, like, come on, I'm not doing that. And so start looking (laughs) around for options. Right. And I'm like, I'm like at 15, there's not a lot available. And what there is, is like minimum wage. And I'm doing the math on minimum wage. And I'm like, I will be in college before I can afford this thing. So this ain't going to work. 
And so I start looking around, start looking around. I got blessed with the fact that my neighbor down the street had seen me mowing my parents' lawn for probably two or three years at this point and approached me one day and was like, Hey, I know a guy, uh, this was in the summer of, um, going into my freshman, freshman year, maybe eighth grade, I think, I don't know. And he's like, I know a guy that's going to school and going to college. And he has this lawn route that he's looking to pass on. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm interested. Maybe like, let me get his number. I get his number. I start learning about the numbers and all that stuff. And, and I, long story short, ended up getting six lawns that were in like a three block radius of my parents' house. And my parents were on a corner, corner lot in the subs of Dallas. And so everything's 21 inch, but because they're on this corner lot, the previous house that we had had a little bit more land than we, than we did when we moved to the, to the house that we were in then. And they kept their riding lawnmower. Well, I couldn't use the riding. It was just a, a like a steering wheel type, uh, riding lawnmower. It's not a zero turn or something like that. So, so I can't use this thing to mow. And cause one, it won't fit through the gates. Uh, it's just, it's just way too big. The cut quality is terrible. And it was a Murray, it was a red Murray mower, I believe is what the brand was. And <laughs> I take this thing, I get a cart for it and I put all the lawn equipment in the back. And here I am for the, the for the end of that season, rolling these six houses uh, on this riding lawnmower. And by the end of the season, I had picked up a couple more yards that were right next door. These people had seen me show up for the last like four or five weeks of the season maybe eight weeks total consistently. And they were like, Hey, like come mow our yard. And so um, start the next season off with eight yards. And that just started the snowball and fast forward then to senior year. Um, I'm doing about a hundred yards a week and I'm like, all right, well, this is rocking. And I, I had a similar story. I was hiring guys from um, co-ops and stuff that I knew from school and stuff. And was jamming, you know, we, every day was a party, you know, it was a great time. We had so much, we had such a blast, you know, just saw yeah. like, yeah, it was shenanigans. And, um, yeah. I wake up one day, uh, and it was just, it, it was sometimes two of us. So three man crew. And sometimes it was just two of us, like myself and one guy I wake up one day and it's like end of August. And he, his name was Sam. He texts me and he's like, all right, man. So I'm going back to school. Um, I'm not really going to be able to mow much and I'm going, I've got extra, you know, um, stuff going on after school and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, I didn't think this through like, you know, like here I am, here yeah. I am. Like, well, this is a Friday. This is over going over the weekend. He's like, you know, I start school on Monday and I'm like, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I kind of forgot about that was a thing, you know? And <laughs> And so here I am like with a hundred yards a week and I'm like, dude, what am I going to do? And I go through some people. It's total train wreck. Um, I ended up getting my first employee because I had posted a thing on Facebook one night just in, I, it, it was just nuts. Like I'm out there mowing grass, trying to find some people, all this stuff. And I'm just like pulling my hair out. One day I come home so exhausted and I put this thing on Facebook and I'm like, Hey, I'm looking for a full-time person blah, 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 blah. And a friend of mine on Facebook messages me and they're like, Hey, are you still hiring? Like I saw your post, like, this is interesting. My older brother, um, is looking for a job and in kind of a similar situation. This guy was older than me. He was 20. I was 18. 
um, and he's 22, 21. And he'd quit discount tire and was looking for the next thing and whatever. And um, so I hire him. And this is the guy, this guy saw me all the way through. He was with me till the, till the very end. Um, I still see him. He works for another company now. I just saw him the other day and was, was, uh, was, was, you know, I always say hi and, you know, mess around with him for a minute, but um, yeah, I mean, so it, it was interesting. And so I told him that year, I said, look, man, I got big dreams for this thing. Like, I don't want this to be a hundred route deal anymore. Like I listened to a, uh, story from lawn care millionaire, Jonathan Batoshnik, and he talked about how he had gotten back into lawn care, had a similar story as us, mowed lawns through college, got out, started a cleaning company, started a software company, did all this stuff. And then mid thirties, maybe forties, finds himself back in lawn care. And he had bought this company pennies on the dollar from a guy that had been in the industry all of his life. And the brand was the guy. And so as an investor, he looked at this and the guy, the guy, I don't know, I don't remember exactly. Like I think had a medical situation ready to retire, but basically paid pennies on the dollar for this company because the brand was this guy, like the guy left. And then it's just a, how many accounts can we keep? We got to build the brand. We got to build the employees. We have to, I mean, the equipment's only worth so much. It's not worth much at the end of the day. And so then the next biggest thing is the clients. Like, what do they pay? How much, what's the profitability? How quickly can I make my money back? That's all the stuff that investors want to see. And so I was, I listened to this story and I'm like, well, I sure as heck do not want to be 45 and have a hundred yards a week. And this is where I'm at. And so I tell Chris, I'm like, dude, look, like this is how it's going to go. Okay. I'm going to train you the next several months. I'm keeping you on through the winter. We're going to hustle the heck out of stuff. We're going to do leaves. We're going to do gutters. We're going to do fence staining. We're going to do power washing. We're going to do whatever possible so that I can train you, keep you staffed, keep you rolling so that you can then take this crew in the spring. And I'm going to put a guy on your truck and the two of you guys are going to run this. And that's how it went. That's how it started. Um, the next spring, I put a guy on the truck with him, uh, started another crew. Um, and I was mowing by myself then. So I would go mow five, 10, 15 yards a day sometimes if they were really close, but mostly, mostly between eight and 14 yards a day by myself. And then Chris would go mow 23 to 24 yards a week, a day with the other guy. Um, and they would just go do all the mowing and then I would go do shrub trimming or I would go do mulch by myself and all that stuff. And I started the second crew and, and then fast forward. Um, and, and the reason I, I had asked you on our show about what were the biggest things that, um, you've learned when hiring people is one, you can't hire family. You can't hire friends. That stuff always blows up because exactly what you said, yeah. when you let those people go, you're never that those friendships are, are, potentially ruined because there's going to be a distaint, like a distaste in your mouth or something along the lines of that. But I'd also learned that I was kind of a tyrant. Um, I had, I had, so that spring I'd hired another guy named Chris and another guy named route. Um, and they, they were at, by end of the spring, we were mowing 130, 150 yards a week. Um, and I had a three man crew with them. Sometimes route would come with me and, um, I was just, I thought being a leader and being a boss meant that like, 
I'm going to tell you what to do and you're going to do it because you work for me and gosh, dang it. Like you should be grateful for this opportunity that I've given you (laughs) so bad, you know, but like, it wasn't quite that bad, but like, I, I, what I'm getting to is I, I built this, I had gotten to this point where Chris and route, they were roommates. This is Chris number two and route, not Chris number one that, that was with me in the fall that I had burned them out so bad that one morning they text me on a Monday. They were supposed to be at the shop at seven. They, they both text me at like six 55. Oh, we just wanted to let you know. They both sent me the, basically the same text. Both. Uh, I wanted to let you know that we're just so that I didn't leave you in the dark, but we're not, we're not going to work for here anymore. Blah, 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 all this stuff. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I have 150 yards a week. And you're going to tell me at six 55. Like I, I had all this animosity for so long. And then I realized later on as I matured that the problem was me, but that was the moment that everything was turned on its head. So I thought it was bad the year before when it was me mowing grass with a buddy and I had a hundred yards, but now here I am with 150 with all of the cleanups, with all the mulch, with all the, with all the trimming, with all these other things going on. I had a booked schedule and now I have nobody. And it really started. That's when, that's when being a leader, building a culture, all of that stuff was, I was like, all right, well, this is not working. I hired, I had a buddy of mine that was right next to us at our shop who had a tree company and he took culture very serious. And he actually sat down with me and I went to to dinner with him and Chris and Chris number one. And we sat down and he was like, all right, what are your problems with Luke? And I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm like sitting here like, God, this is brutal. And I, I don't know if it was that or what it was, but, but between Chris and myself, like Chris stepped up to the plate that day, like after that conversation, like the very, so that, that conversation we had, I, I knew stuff was getting bad that happened on like Friday and Chris and route quit on Monday morning, the following week. So then I call Chris and I'm like that Monday, I'm like, Chris, dude, this is like, I get if you want to quit right now because this is going to suck. And I was like, I wouldn't blame you if you did. Um, but here's the situation. And you know, like after me sitting down, like with you that I'm, I'm committed to building something better. I'm committed to doing the work. I'm committed to all this stuff. And so he, he basically between myself, Chris and my dad, my dad would get off work and he would come mow with me. Like Chris would mow by himself. I would go mow by myself. We would both hit these two different routes. And then my Chris would get done. He'd, he'd get done at like seven o'clock at night. And then my dad would come jump in a truck with me and help me mow. And like, we're at this, like, so you know what I'm saying? Like, this is like chaos. Like the whole world freaking imploded around me here. (laughs) Like, I'm just like, dude, like there's something more to being a leader than this. Like, I don't know exactly what this means. Like I, I didn't have the most like empathy and all this stuff at that point. And so then Daniel comes along. I don't know. Um, I I'd watched. Okay. So I'd watched a video from Jonathan Potoshnik again, talking about building the avatar for your client, like for your clients, but you have to also have an avatar for the people that you want to work for you. And how do you communicate? Where do those people hang out? How do you, how do you market to that person that you want? Like, what does the ideal employee look like to you? And so I took, I had business cards printed for hiring and I went one day and I put them up everywhere that I thought my potential employee wanted to be. And I started telling people, I'll give you a refer. If this person calls me and tells me that you were the one that referred them to working with me, I'll give you a hundred bucks. 
And if they stay with me, I'll give you another hundred bucks after a month. And then I have a sign on bonus and I have bonuses for them. And so that's where Daniel comes along. He was my, he was my, he's my second real time and second longest employee. And that's where everything changed for me. And so long story short, we then ended up growing to about 19 employees mowing about 553 yards a week. Um, and there was still a lot of stuff that I, I, I could have done differently and, and looking back, you know, could have made changes and stuff like that, but everything changed for me after those two guys quit and my world was turned upside down and I had to really put a focus on it, on people building a culture, building a place where people are happy and, and excited to come to work, um, building a real team and, you know, and so that's where, that's where all of that stuff stemmed from. And, and ultimately at the end of the day, like my guys were, were a lot of, um, what drove me, you know, I, I, here I am 21 and I have guys that are 35 or 40, you know, that are like, dude, you Lucas, they call me, my name's my full name's Lucas. And they go, Lucas, you're my son. Like you, like I'd go to the Kingsonieras. I, I, I would get calls from these guys. Like if something happened, like I, I, you know what I mean? Like I was truly part of the family and, Mm. and that was huge for me. And so that was, that's still one of the things that I miss today um, is, is, is being so connected with those guys and and all of that stuff. But, um, but yeah. And so, you know, 20, uh, it was 20, one going on 22. I think it was actually, I think it was, yeah, 22 going on 23 is when I sold. Um, I sold that August and then I had a six month transition um, where I was still running the company and, and, and stuff like that. And then that January I was out. So that's kind of everything in a nutshell, but um, yeah. No. So, so I'm curious now what, because I, I could be a little bit of the mean boss guy and um Cause sometimes I get crazy. Cause all I can think about is like our profit per hour is not where it yeah. should be. And that quality is not how it should be. Yeah. And you just broke that. And I just flip out. So what, what was it that shifted in you that like put you in a position where your guys like loved you that much? Like what happened there and, and how, what, what was that? What did that look like? Um, I, I think it, I think the biggest thing was starting with empathy and that it's okay to make mistakes as long as you own up to it and you tell me about them and I don't have to learn about them from somewhere else. Um, and you know, realizing that, look, I'm not perfect. I'm going to make mistakes. And so you can't, you can't expect perfect from everybody. You need, you need people to do, give 110% and do everything that they can possibly do. But when they make mistakes, they're going to make mistakes. And as long as they own up to it and that's what it is, you know, then that's, then that's what's, that's, what's going to happen. And then realizing that some people aren't put on the right spot in the bus, you know, like, like everybody has their, their strengths and weaknesses. And and maybe you've put somebody in a place that they're not going to strive um, to be the best or, or they just don't have the capability of being the best there. And so knowing that stuff, learning that stuff and creating a culture where people can c- confront you about stuff or not necessarily confront you, but they can come to you with the problems and tell you like, Hey, I have a problem with this or, Hey, you know, I, I wish this went differently or something along the lines of that is a big deal because otherwise you hear about stuff through the grapevine and it creates a, 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 a toxic culture. And so kind of, I, I would say those, those are kind of the biggest things realizing putting my guys, um, putting my guys at the kind of the forefront of, of where I was looking like, 
profitability obviously is, is the most important because if you're not profitable, you can't do anything else, but then find like, like putting the second focus on customer service and your employees. And I would almost say that you have to put your employees above customer service, because if you treat your Mm -hmm. people, right, they're going to treat everybody else. Right. And if they're happy, they're going to make the customer happy. And so, you know, um, doing what I could to help them out when I, when I needed to, knowing that I'm responsible, not only for them, but I'm responsible for their families and all of that other stuff. Like those were big weights that were put on my shoulders and like that I was, I, I felt actually responsible for. And so, you know, judging those decisions, making sure that I, I, it was very clear to my guys, like quality is the most important thing. Okay. If we don't have the quality, then what else are we going to have? You know, like we, I can't pay you more if people don't perceive our value to be higher than, than the next guy. So I need you to make sure that you pay attention to detail. I need you to make sure that you present yourself to the customer in a, in a good way and all this stuff. And, and then at the end of the day, like I would, I would either incentivize them based off of customer responses on how they did or something like that. Or I would just tell them, I'd be like, Hey, you know, Susan over at whatever yard yard, you know, 51, 31, main street way or whatever. She just, she just called me and she said, you guys rocked it. Just wanted to call and tell you guys that you're doing a great job and that the customers are are appreciative and they would appreciate that. And so just taking in all those little nuances of like, that's really easy to be like, Oh yeah, Susan, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And then hanging up the phone and calling you today. And then, and then the guys never hear that. Um, all of those little things, you know, are, are culture moving, um, and, and make them happy, make you happy, make sure that people are, Sometimes at the end of the day, and this is what I talk, we, we do a lot of hiring and recruiting stuff now um, in, in the agency space. And I tell guys, I'm like, it, it's more if, in this day and age right now, there's more to it than just how much can I make? And it, I mean, it's, it's, it was that way back then for my guys too. Like there were other companies that were, that were paying more than what I was, but my guys stayed with me because of the culture, because of the family, because they knew that year round work, because, you know, they knew that if they needed something that I was going to help them out, or if they needed some time off, I'd give them time off or, you know, whatever it was. And that we had a, we had a standard of excellence so that when they, they, they were a part of something bigger than just mowing yards. And so that's important. Like you can be commoditized, like just like you don't want to be have a commoditized service, you don't want to have a commoditized business where people that are working for you look at you just as a place to come to work and they're going to make their paycheck and they're going to leave. Because at the end of the day, they're just always going to be looking for the next 50 cents more an hour or a dollar an hour. And yeah. you know, if you can build a culture, you can build something that's more than that, they're going to look at you differently and they're going to actually think about is it really worth going to this other company for X amount dollar uh, dollars more? And so those are, those were some of the biggest life lessons that I had to learn and, and where ultimately we had more guys coming to us than I could employ um, yeah. at, at, at the end of the day or that I could grow fast enough. It really became a cash flow problem for me because I, like I, like I told you on, on my show, we didn't leverage debt at all everything was paid for in cash. And so that was one of my biggest things was we were growing so fast. I was always cash strapped, um, even with charging cards every week and, and all of that kind of stuff. So those were some of my biggest 
hurdles and and bottlenecks that I had to overcome, but it wasn't a people problem. And and well, let me tell you this story. People want to be held accountable and they want they you need to build a culture of accountability. Um, I had this guy named Victor and uh, he was an older he's an older gentleman. He was probably in his mid 50s. And by my third crew, I was working my way off the crew, uh, but I'd hired this guy in February and um, March is when we start doing like our scalps and our first kind of cuts on properties, all of our spring cleanups and, and all of that kind of stuff. April 1st is when everything goes gun ho, but um, I'd hired this guy in February. He was running with me. He was running on a different crew every day. And I'd hired him for that reason. Like I, I told him, I'm like, dude, like until we get really busy and stuff, I'm going to bring you on, train you. Um, you're going to be with different, I'm just going to feed you around to different crews, uh, be, depending on what the workload is and depending on what people need. And he just got, he got fed up, I guess, one day of being on a different crew and he wanted to work like, and, and I understand when, when you start getting to multiple crews and all that kind of stuff, guys have their clicks. And they know who works well together. They know like, okay, if I have this guy on my crew, I know I don't have to go back and check him to make sure he blew off the patio properly or he, he weeded everything properly. Like that was one of the things for my guys is like, they wanted to have the same guys because they could train them and make sure that they could trust that everything was done. So when the, someone, they sent somebody to the backyard to go blow off the patio they didn't have to worry about getting a call back because they didn't blow off the patio properly or they did, they missed it completely or whatever. And so I get that, but I brought this guy on early. He knew what he was supposed to do. I, I, we always go, went to racetrack. It was, it was literally right out of, out of the driveway of our shop every morning to gas up the trucks and, and, and whatnot. The guys would get breakfast. I'm going around to the trucks, gassing everything up going over the routes, all this stuff with the guys. And I see one of our neon yellow shirts in the distance. And I'm like, where's Victor? And Daniel goes, he's upset because he's on a different crew every day. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So I'm like, all right, get out of here. Everybody go like, go get your, go get your stuff done for the day. See you later. I go rolling on down the street. And I'm like, Victor, where are you going? And he's like, I'm not working anymore. I'm sorry. Like, I don't want to do this, whatever. And I'm like, okay. I said, that's fine. Oh, let me get your last paycheck. Um, I'll get your last paycheck. Bring me all my shirts back, all that kind of stuff. Brings me his shirts back. Give him his final check. Two weeks later, he comes back and he's like, Hey, I didn't mean it. I really want to work for you again. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm like, I, I, I said, if you would have come up to me and told me, what your problem was and we could have talked about it and I could have figured out like I, I never had a problem with, again in the future. The guys saw that and they were like, holy crap, Luke's serious. You know, like he was a hard worker. He was a good dude. Like I, I appreciated him, but there's a, and there's an example that has to be made sometimes where you can't just have people walking off the job, walking on down the street, representing you that way. Um, And so it was hard because I needed him. I had already spent, four or five weeks at this point training this guy when I didn't really need him, but I brought him on ahead of ahead of time so that when the spring rush hit, he would be able to jump in and dive in and had knew all of the ways that we did things and all this stuff. 
but I made an example of him and not once ever after that, did I ever have a problem? Like the guys knew that like, if they didn't come, if they had a problem, they would just come to me and talk to me about it. And we would have hard conversations sometimes, but there was never this, all right, see you later. I'm out of here because they knew that they weren't going to get their job back. If they came back, it was like, you're blacklisted, you know? And it's not like, it's nothing personal, but it's just like, if you're not going to treat me with respect you're not going to, you're not going to do the, the do these different things that I've set in place, then that's it. Like there's no coming back. And, and that was a big thing for me. And, and that's one of those hard things for people where like they may get crossed and then, you know, they'll bring them back the next week because they're a hard worker and they can make your, their X amount of dollars per man hour. But mm-hmm. what does that say to the guys on the crew? You know, all the guys are watching you in that moment and they're like, all right, well, if if Victor can go walk off one day and he'll have me back on the crew in two weeks, like, let's go. I can pull some stuff. And so, and so that's the thing is like, there's just so many different layers of being a leader and um, pieces of this that, you know, that just take, and I just tell these stories because of, of these, of these different lights and different layers of, of what it becomes. But, you know, there's a billion different other stories that are like that where you have to use empathy. There are such situations that come up um, where, you know, you, I would want to say, dude, you're fired. See you later. But the circumstances mean that I, I have to show empathy there. And some of the, sometimes that stuff happens. Like if there's a legitimate thing, but you know, it's just case by case and all, all of that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, the guys like at the end of the day, you're only as good as the people that you have. And so you have to, you have to put a, you have to put a lot of focus into the team that you're building, the people that you have. Um, I've used the analogy a lot that you have to build a B team. You can have a team players, every good, every good team, whatever, whatever sport it's in soccer, football, whatever, they have a B team and they can pull those people out on the, off the bench and they're ready to go. And so having a B team, whether not, I'm not saying necessarily that you're hiring a whole nother staff to just like hang around, but making the connections, like constantly recruiting, constantly being in the hiring process, hiring mindset, even when you don't need people, building the relationships, taking people's names, putting them in a system, keeping up with them through the year so that when you do need somebody, you have somebody that you can call on and be like, hey, yo. We talked six months ago. You said you were unhappy. You're looking for another gig. We're ready for you to come on is big versus not doing that. And then scrambling last minute because you don't have the people. So yeah, the guys are where it's at. I mean, you, you, I I could talk for days about, about all the different things related to hiring recruiting and staffing and all that kind of stuff. Because at the end of the day, like you're only as good as those people that are working for you. Yeah, I'd agree and not open up my eyes a little bit to some some stuff with the guys. Maybe we have to have a little bit more of a sit down conversation. And if I'm being crazy about stuff, they need to to say it. And it also comes on on my end. And and sometimes, you know, you get emotional when you're bidding a property because with the accounts that I have now so go way back. And I'm like, you know, I'll do this for not that much profit for you. And then the guys take too long at a property. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm losing money. We got to go. Yep. And it's just, you know, a lot of pressure. And, and it's stressed on the guys that, they really don't want to deal with. Whereas, you know, because they could just go to Burger King and not have to deal with that kind of stuff. So, yeah, well, um, yeah, that's, that's all great points. And that's, that's, I dealt with a lot of the same stuff where you can't bid something based off of your time. 
right? Yeah. Because every owner is going to be the most efficient in the business. They're going to have everything down the way that you cut grass, like in the way that I cut grass is going to be way more efficient or the way, you know what I'm saying? Like you have those different things down, you bid it based off of, Oh, I can cut a, cut a yard in X amount of time. Well, none of the guys are going to give you 150% like you do. Like you and I give 150% because we have more stake in the game, but the guys, they're going to give 90 or 95%. And you have to make sure like, that was one of the big things for me is like bidding properly, knowing the numbers and bidding things in the way that we have enough cushion so that if something takes a little bit longer or something along the lines of that, that it, you know, that it happens. And knowing that there are circumstances that come up that are unforeseen or something along the lines of that, that are going to make it where they can't finish or that's keep it made them stay on the property an extra hour longer than it was supposed to, or something along the lines of that. And that's not the end of the world. Like I would, I used to be like when the guys, and I had a similar policy, we marketed heavily on same day every week, we're going to be there unless there's a rain de- delay. And if there's not a rain delay, uh, if there is a rain delay, we're going to send you an email or a text message that lets you know that we're coming out the next day because we're delayed. Shutting the gates, making sure that your pets and stuff are never going to get out. Um, having a, a, a way for you to communicate with us efficiently and properly so that you're not, you're not, you never feel like you can't communicate with us. And then billing on time, billing a credit card and all this stuff. When it got, when the guys couldn't finish a route, it used to blow my lid. Like, I would be like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't care how long it takes you. You're finishing the route. You can't go home until you're done. And, you know, I mean, it's just some of that stuff where it's like, well, Susan's house hadn't been mowed in two weeks and it was super tall today and we had to cut it twice and we had to blow all that stuff. And it's like, all right, well, that's my fault because I didn't make her switch to weekly and it was on the, you know, and and so there's just some of those things where you have to weigh the circumstances and you have to weigh what's going on. And like, sometimes you have to take the loss and like, that's okay. And as long, you know, like, like there's just that human empathy level that has to take place because if you don't have that, then you become the tyrant and they're afraid of like, Oh God, it's five o'clock. We didn't finish the route. I don't, I don't want to have to call Luke, you know, like who wants to call Luke today? Tell him that we didn't finish. You know what? Like you don't want that kind of a culture because it's just, everything's going to be a train wreck. And so yeah, I mean, I had to learn it the hard way and I uh I try to tell these stories so that people, you know, can hopefully learn from my mistakes and 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 learn from some of that stuff and you know, I there's still a lot of stuff that I could have done differently, should have done differently and could have made better and all that stuff, but I I, I like to think that by um by the time that I got out that I that I at least had some of the culture building stuff down. So, yeah. Just out of curiosity, what was the software that you used to uh, like let people know, uh, you know, that they're going to be delayed and be able to do that in a batch form? Because what I'm running right now, I'd have to like literally go in and change each day for each person. And that would yeah. take, you know, 30 minutes to do that every service, single day. And... Service autopilot. Okay. So you can yeah. do it within that software. It's a click. It's a one click button. I, I drank the service autopilot Kool-Aid forever. Um, they, again, that was Jonathan Potoshnik's company and he, he had started service autopilot and I just was like, all right, dude, if you're running the company, because they're the city turf, the company ran in one County, Collin County that services Allen, Frisco, McKinney, 
Plano, Richardson, Murphy. There's like a few, there's a few cities that are within the County and they were doing $11 million a year and mowing 5,500 yards a week. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, I don't care what you say. I'm just fall Like you've got the wheel. And so he's building lawn care millionaire to bring education, but ultimately bring awareness to service autopilot. Like he'd subtly drop CRMs and service autopilot and all this stuff. And so as soon as I found out that he was the owner of service autopilot, I said, take my money. Here's my credit. Take visa, take it, whatever. I don't care. Like just bill my card. We're going to do this. And, and so we would, um, we would build, we would bill cards every week and I would run their, I would run their card on Monday and have my money in my account by Wednesday. And then obviously the money was there for payroll on Friday. And that was our cash flow. So that's how we cash flowed this whole thing without having any debt is that every time I did a job, I would have the money in my account. We'd charge 50% upfront on larger projects. So I'd cash flow all my materials and all that other stuff. And service autopilot was the way that we were able to one, make sure that people had special notes. Like sometimes clients would be like, you have to use the left gate, not the right gate because of this or that. We'd have the apps on the phone where the guys would have all of the notes, all the stuff. They'd have the same route on the same crew every week, same season. That was one of the things that pushed us to another level is because I would keep the same guys on the same route every year. And so they would learn the route. They'd learn, obviously there would be some churn. There'd be some clients that dropped off, some new clients that picked up. But 85 to 90% of those same yards were the same yards on the same crew every year. And they would have the notes, they'd know the things, they'd do all that stuff. And so if we had a rain delay, it's literally a push of a button. You would select all of the accounts. It's it, it inserts the person's first name on every email. So it looks like it's a personal email that you wrote to them. So, hey, Susan, and then, hey, Jake, and then, hey, whatever, and then, hey, going, going, going on and so forth. But it was a batched email. And it would just say, hey, it rained on Monday. I know it's Friday, but because it rained on Monday, it put everybody behind and we're going to come to you tomorrow. Please make sure your gates are unlocked and open and we'll see you tomorrow morning. Um, and, you know, that's that's kind of how it would go. Yeah. And so, you know, and then, you know, I mean, there were times that guys didn't finish the route, gets to up in the hundreds here with high humidity. So it feels like 110. And so in the middle of the summer, you know, there would be some days where the guys didn't finish and we just say, Hey, we, we had this problem, be transparent and open with the customers and say truck broke down or mower broke down. Or we just, you know, we couldn't finish the route today. We're going to be out tomorrow. Really sorry about the inconvenience, so on and so forth. So service autopilot, having the right CRM is, is, is ultimately what makes your life so much easier and almost takes the role of an employee. If you have something that's set up in a way that can systematize and automate the process is to make your life so much more simple. So, yeah, yeah no, that, that's a big deal. So I do want to respect your time and, and kind of wrap it up here, but I do have one, one big topic that I want you to to touch on because right now you're, you're running like, um, I don't know if social media marketing agency would be the quite the way to put it, but um, landscape SEO, you do a lot of marketing stuff for, for like landscaping companies, lawn care companies. And I want to get your take on, uh, we were talking about this uh, before we started the podcast on um, on your show when I was on your show. And um, for those, because I know that you are looking for a specific type of business you know, that, that's a certain size, but if they're not to that size yet, you know, where they're doing like three quarter million and where you can actually help them scale to that couple million and beyond, 
um, for those guys who are just looking to get to that point where they could actually work with you uh, and take that seriously? You know, what are some things that they can be doing to, you know, drive in new customers? What are some things that you did uh, when you were building your business? What what did that look like? Yeah, so that's that's a great question. So we didn't have LSA. We t- we did talk about this. We didn't have LSA or local service ads um, back in the day. They were actually just getting rolled out the year this the summer that I sold, um, and so I never experienced those until post getting into the agency space. But LSA local service ads are a great way for people that don't have experience setting up ads and doing all of that stuff to kind of get their foot in the door and get rolling. You have to have a Google My Business listing. Um, those are super easy to set up. Um, get those rolling, get some reviews going. You have to have a minimum of two reviews for, for LSA. Um, and you get that stuff rolling and then you just you you basically can go in there, set up your your services that you want to market for, set set up the service areas and you basically flip a little button and you have calls coming in. Now, in super competitive areas, there are different things that have to happen to um, to actually rank because on uh, mobile, there's only there's typically only two to three, mostly two businesses that are shown on mobile devices. There's three on desktop, um, but the other good thing about LSA is that a lot of times they show up in the map section. And so the map is is local and SEO driven, um, but the first spot a lot of times is LSA, and so it gives you the top spot for um, for lawn care in whatever city, for landscapes company in whatever city, any of those type of of search inquiries. You can be the top spot there. And so those are really great ads um, to set up and run that you can't really mess up. As yeah. as long as you're setting up the right parameters around your service area, you really can't mess that up. And then obviously making sure you're answering the phone. There is an algorithm that goes into place. If you're missing calls, um, that kind of stuff, Google won't promote you as much. But mm-hmm. the other nice thing about it, which is unlike any other Google um, service, is that you're only build for a actual lead yeah. versus pay-per-click and and other type of advertising you get a click you get a lead it is what it is and with LSA as long as you can kind of prove that this isn't in my service area this isn't my my um this isn't my service offering like they're calling you about lawn care and you're only doing fertilization weed control or vice versa, or you're only doing landscaping and they call you for lawn mowing, you can get those calls refunded back to your account. That's the only service that you can actually go spend money for to get leads and actually get a credit back when you don't get the lead that you want. So that's a great way that people can kind of get in there and test the water with ads. Um, I, I'm sure you've seen it. The It literally... Digital is the way you can blow up the fastest. It's a lot of times the cheapest. It's a lot of times the way, because ultimately at the end of the day, people are just Googling um, whatever they need for instantaneous results. Yeah. Now, if I didn't have money for, for um, ads and stuff like that, I would, I would kind of what you would, you you've done and stuff like that is leverage opportunities from, my competitors figure out what they don't do and what you do and how do you pass business back and forth. And if you can call them and say, Hey, I have a lead for you. This isn't a right fit for us, but I think it might be a good fit for you. And you can lead with giving them something first. It goes a long ways. 
and then they'll end up giving you stuff in return. Working with the, the biggest referral partners, um, so calling up realtors, different people that that touch your client, other businesses, painters, roofers, those guys that touch the same clientele every single week, calling people that offer something that you don't, like the fertilization weed control companies. Um, I'm not talking necessarily about the big boys. I'm talking about the small guys that, that have one or two crews going out and they're doing the fertilization weed control. You want to do lawn mowing. How do you partner with those people to get the lawn mowing jobs and then you send them the fertilization weed control? That's a great way you can get leads from that almost instantaneously. You just have to go build the relationships um, and find those people, pool companies. All of those guys are great resources that will help you bring leads into your business really quickly for very little effort on your side to get to get those leads without very little spend. Um, we we talked about it on my podcast, you know, utilizing door hangers um, and yard signs and referral partners being your, or getting your clients to refer you, building a, re, uh, a referral incentive program to make sure that people actually follow up for you and they become salespeople for you. All of those different things are going to move the needle for you and help get you to a place where you can start spending ads, ad dollars. But as soon as you get to a place where you're like, all right, I have $500 a month, I'm going to spend in ads, do it. Because it is the fastest way to get the volume. It's the fastest way to get the quality people Everything comes through ads. People, I've heard people tell me that, oh, commercial doesn't go through um, digital. Yeah, it hundred percent does. I just had a, uh, I just had a hundred fifty thousand dollar contract come through for one of our clients, and they, it was just a, a property management company that did a search for, you know, commercial maintenance in whatever city, and they just landed a hundred fifty thousand dollar maintenance contract, and it was from a Google search. So that stuff does happen. Um, those, those, those clients are there. It just, you know, depending on where you're at, uh, is where that's going to kind of dictate what you can do. I would definitely spend the money on LSA first before trying to run tick, uh, TikTok or Instagram or Facebook ads, because you can just literally be rolling down the highway, throwing money out the window. And it might be better suited than spending your money on those platforms because the changes that happen consistently, like are just so crazy. And the same thing with Google, Google's out there to try to spend your money running pay-per-click ads in the traditional sense. Yes, there is a, a, a place for PPC as it's called in, in the industry, but it's a lot more complicated. You can, the reason that people go PPC over LSA is because you can be exclusive. You can send people to a landing page where they get all of the information that they need. You can make, you know, your, your um, descriptions and, and, title tags and all that kind of stuff on your ads descriptive about something. So say you wanted more um, lawn mowing, or let's just be even more specific than that. Say you wanted to do sod installation. You can run specific ads for just sod installation where it's talking about, Hey, are you looking to have a new lawn put in or something along the lines of that with LSA? It's a basic broad picture they're getting. They're not really, you can't really, besides telling Google like, oh, I want to do this service or I want to do that service. There's nothing you can put as really a descriptor about changing. Like everybody has the same things in the back end to click. So there's nothing that really changes you. You can't put a special, you can't do some of this stuff that you can with, with PPC. You could, you could say first mowing, you know, call today and get your first mowing for free or call today and get your sixth mowing for free on PPC ads. The problem is, is that 
there's a lot more different moving pieces and there's a lot more check marks that you have to make. Otherwise you're going down the, you're going to get a call from another state and they're like, Hey, I'm looking for lawn care. And you're like, dude, you're in another state. What are you doing? Because Google spent your money in another state because you didn't have your targeting put up properly or something along the lines of that. Mm -hmm. So that's my two cents. Um, usually I, I find that zero to 500 to $700,000 a year is typically the place where you're kind of better off. If you have some knowledge of advertising and marketing, you're better off typically in those, in those time, in those, those ranges of working by yourself with your marketing. Um, there's some people that want to scale and grow faster. We do work with, with people below that mark sometimes, but typically the threshold is about 750,000 and beyond is where people really start to try to look for agencies uh, because there's just too many moving parts and there, there's just too many different things and, and their ad spend and stuff is not maximized um, as much as possible. And so they're looking for more ideas, more techniques, somebody that's a professional and that knows their way around, just like you would hire, just like you would go to um, have a, a client would hire you for professional looking lawn, that a, a lawn that's cut by a professional looks different than a lawn that's cut by a homeowner. They have different equipment. They have different tools. They have different knowledge. They do the stuff in day in, day out. It's the same thing on the agency side of things. You want somebody that does this day in, day out. They have all the special tools. They know all of the back end. They have all of the problems and support. Like you, you have somebody that you can go to for for Facebook if you have a problem. You can have somebody you can call or something along the lines of that. That's why you hire an agency is to do things more efficiently than what you can. But Again, at the end of the day, most of our clientele in the lawn care space is not the first time home buyer. So it's the same thing in, in the agency side of things. Not most startup companies and people that are kind of growing and scaling and getting to that, that side, they're not ready for an agency yet. So, yeah. All right, sir. Well, I appreciate it. My family's going crazy. They really want me to come down and eat dinner. So, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably going to have to go, go join them, but I really appreciate you coming out and, and sharing. Um, sharing some real nuggets and, and dropping some, some really good stuff, some stuff that I definitely have to think about, um, you know, within my business and, and improving that. And uh, even while we were sitting here, I got like one or two calls from local service ads, like literally right now. So, it's, there you, go. you know, there you go. A testament to the, to the knowledge right there. But uh, thanks for, thanks for being on. We'll definitely get you on again in the uh, come springtime so that we can uh, get that, we can find out what we should really be doing uh, for the spring to, to grow as much as possible and for the coming season. So Love it, I appreciate Caleb. it, man. Thanks for being on. And um, guys, if you have not already, be sure to uh, subscribe to the podcast. If you enjoy this, got some value, uh, leave us a five-star review. I'll also uh, I'll link Luke's, uh, his socials down below. So you can go check him out and his website, uh, Landscape SEO, if uh, that's something that you are looking for um, to have someone really run your ads and uh, do that kind of stuff on a higher level. Uh, definitely would highly recommend his company just from the, our conversations that we've had. You know, if I was in that range, I'd be giving him a call. So uh, be sure to uh, reach out to him. So thanks again, man, for uh, being on. And uh, guys, we will catch you on the next one.